Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. As loved ones of first responders and military personnel, we often face life situations and challenges that many others don't experience. And while each of us and our experiences are unique, together we can learn from one another and become stronger in this journey of life. Now let's step out of mediocrity. It's time to thrive. Hi, Waiting Warriors. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we have Kristen, who is a Combat Arms Army spouse, mom to young kids, and runs her own business, Brushfire Blue. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm excited to be here today. Now, guys, if you follow me slash the podcast on Instagram, it's The Waiting Warrior, you'll know, wait, Brushfire Blue, I've heard of that because I love it so much. She has the coolest military prints. I've never seen anything like it. You know, like we've all seen those um, military, any sort of decor, and it's like, like right now, (laughs) yeah, like right now, Austin and I are at the 101st, so it's like eagles everywhere yeah. with talons it's like I, I don't want that on my home yeah <laughs> <But>, crossbones <laughs> yeah Kristen has like stuff you would legitimately put in your house as a woman it's awesome <laughs> and they're still like they're still very uh not just patriotic but like military you know like yes I think when I um first started designing them as I thought more about it, it was really a conglomeration of what my military experience has been. And it's that I want my prints to represent a family. Mm -hmm. It's not just the the active duty spouse. It's it's the spouse and it's the children. And I felt like I wanted something in my own home that was beautiful enough and neutral enough, but somewhat masculine, somewhat feminine, because it's not just one person who does the military. And so it's been really fun for me to create something um, that feels a little bit more welcoming for mm-hmm. life. Um, so that's kind of how the process started for me when I was designing some of these things is to say, I don't like that sometimes the way we represent the military is just so one-sided because heaven, heaven knows it takes a lot of work from a very solid spouse for that to happen. And I, I feel like I really wanted to show that in my design. So it's been really fun. And I think personally validating for me to be like, okay, there's the woman in this, you know, there's, there's the supporting spouse there. So, um, so I'm really glad you've enjoyed the designs and the prints. And I totally appreciate you promoting my little business. It's been wonderful. Hey, I know like sometimes businesses are like afraid to push their own stuff, but I have no shame, especially (laughs) when I love it. It's like, no, you guys legitimately need to go check it out. It's awesome. But she's not here to talk about her company, even though we could. Um, She's going to talk today about her story and how she's really built. And I use the word built for a reason. She's built for herself and her family an attitude and lifestyle of thriving. So my first question, Kristen, is what does thriving mean to you, especially in military life? Yes. So I'm going to be talking a lot today about the spouses um, because I think that's one of my primary concerns and I spent a lot of time talking with spouses in the military community about how to kind of make life work for them and for their family and so I feel like a spouse who 
is thriving is generally happy. I know that sounds like a totally cheesy word to use, but they have the ability to find happiness. I was reading a book recently. Um, it's a fiction book. And it was about a woman who was thinking about marrying a sailor. And she decided to do it, but she knew the challenges that would come about. And her younger sibling said this about her. She said, Mary will be happy, won't she? Because she's learned how to be happy. And I feel like that resonated so much with me that happiness in military life really isn't just a life um, that you can make work for you. And so thriving for me is a spouse who's learned how to make happiness for themselves. Um, I think a thriving spouse contributes to her community. I think any any supporting spouse needs to be able to have contribution. It can't just be enough for yourself. So um, usually I think a thriving spouse knows how to be resilient. They know how to take on emergencies and unexpected things. Um, and at the same time, they can also pursue their personal interests where the military life is not just going to run over every single thing they want to do. So those have been a few key things I've kind of looked for when I think about a military spouse thriving. Um, and generally, they end up kind of becoming informal leaders in their community. Um, if they're a good mentor, they just kind of pull other women along and other spouses. So that's been really neat to see in our time in, in the military. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, I, I could, guys, so I know Kristen personally, and I could just listen to her talk. So this might be a longer one, just for a warning, because I feel like she has some really, really good things to say. Now I feel like I know she has some really good things to say, but my next question is that's that's what a thriving spouse is to you. That's totally how I see you, but I'm assuming you haven't always been that way. No, no, not at all. So really, my comments today are geared toward my culture shock coming <laughs> into the military, and and really some of the points I'm going to bring up are a mixture of the stages of grief of sometimes losing your civilian self when you move into a military marriage. And then the culture shock that can happen along with that. And I was not prepared for that. I think when we started our journey into the military, um, I, I was older. So I, I met my husband in my late 20s. Um, I had just finished my graduate degree in dance choreography. And I had been working professionally in the, in the field for about five years. And so I kind of looked at his profession like a job. Like, okay, he chose to be in the military. This is his profession. Little did I know, I totally joined a culture. <laughs> And so suddenly everything in our life was about the military. It was where we could live and how long we'd be there and what type of housing we would have, our social circles, the type of conversations I would hear over and over again, um, just all the acronyms that were thrown at me. It seriously was a different language. And so I didn't realize, but I was going through culture shock as I joined the military because I did not come from a military background. So I think some of the things I have to share today are to help those spouses who don't have military background in, in their lives when they move into the military, because it was a really bumpy transition for me personally. Um, so I think one of the first things I experienced was I thought that the challenge of military life was deployments, right? Everybody gets that like, oh, deployments are so hard. But once we got into it, I realized if you have someone who does like a combat job, they have tons of extra training. I mean, lots. And so my husband spent a lot of extra time going to schools, coming home from schools. He'd be gone for a couple of weeks or months at a time. And then he'd have really early mornings and late nights. And our weekends weren't just fun time for us to be together, but he'd have to recover 
on yeah. the, just from that work. And so after a couple months, I started to feel really unprepared for what I just stepped into. And so that's when I started the first stage of adjustment, which is honeymoon slash denial, right? <laughs> Everyone knows what honeymoon is. You know, you're excited because you're in this new marriage and you have this new life and you usually just move for the first time um, if you marry a military service member. But um, what happens after the, the honeymoon phase ends is you can move into denial. And this is when I've seen spouses be okay with just waiting for things to happen. Like, oh, it's just our first year in training or after this training or after we move, it'll be a better time. And so they do things like put their personal goals on hold or school or family plans because it's just not ideal. And um, so my advice for new spouses, if you're in what you feel like is a denial stage, is you, you really need to get a mentor as soon as you can because a mentor helps to pave your expectations and I would really say you need to have a mentor who's about five years ahead of you because they've gone through the first couple stages of adjustment. Um, and a mentor should be able to do three basic things. They should be able to help you understand how to adjust with military schedules and changes. They should be able to help you know how to pursue personal goals. And then lastly, they should be able to help you understand how to balance family and career, whether it's your own career or whether it's the career of your active duty spouse. And, um, and then just the last thing is, do you want to be like this person in five years? Mm -hmm. And that's a great place for just get a mentor. You need to have a mentor early on. That's something I didn't feel like I really had stepping into it. Um, so I felt pretty lost for a while and I just needed someone to kind of take me and show me some ropes about how to, how to do this and what to expect. So that's one of my first pieces of advice. If you are, feel like you might be new and in kind of the denial stage of things are just going to get better and I'll be able to do this later, is that this isn't a temporary pause for you. It's a permanent change. And moving through that faster with a mentor will really help. Um, so, Quick question. Yeah. How, how would you suggest people find a mentor? Because especially in the military circle, if you're new, then you're probably on lower enlisted or lower officer and the people five years ahead of you aren't necessarily in your social circle. Yes. So I don't think that necessarily mentors should be in social circles. Mm -hmm. Social circles are really meant to help find understanding. It's like to commiserate together and to understand shared like joys and pains, right? But when it comes to looking forward you need someone who's older than you at least in military terms because so that's going to really going to be probably through an FRG it's going to be through any military event you go to it could honestly even be online Michelle it doesn't have to be yeah. a face-to-face -face person it could be a podcast host or it could be <laughs> another like military blog um because there's just so many good resources out there that discuss issues for military spouses so if you can find someone in your immediate community that's awesome I really say the only way you can do that is you have to get involved on some form. You have to be able to go to those events and to reach out. And the other thing you can do is just ask, ask someone to be your mentor. And you, I mean, it's pretty easy for women to understand if like, this is who I look up to, or this is someone who I'd like to talk to more. Sorry, my baby, she's supposed to be asleep. So I think there's lots of different ways to get a mentor, but I would say if that's one of your goals early on, 
it's going to be a lot easier to find one. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be aware that, hey, I need a mentor if I'm a new military spouse to help me do this. And then you can keep your eyes open that first year to find somebody who might be able to help you along the path. I didn't even realize I needed a mentor my first couple of years. I just thought that everyone else seemed to be doing it a lot better than I was. And so I just needed someone to tell me, you need a military spouse mentor <laughs> to help you get through this. And I would have reached out more. I would have looked at the events that I went to as an opportunity to reach out to people who were beyond my social circle and to have some time to sit down with them. So I've never been in a situation where a military spouse wasn't willing to sit down and talk. And so um, I would just say, if you ask them, they will totally help Yeah, because they've been there. Um, So, and then along with, if you're in a denial stage, um, the next thing I would do after you get a mentor is learn about how to build personal resiliency it's one of the most important factors for a military spouse to thrive is if she knows how to be resilient. And so a couple of things I've thought about in terms of resiliency is um, really just a couple of questions. And those are, are you okay with being on your own, both physically and emotionally? And because as you know, you have to solve a lot of problems by yourself. So you have to be able to answer that question. (laughs) Am I okay being on my own? Mm -hmm. Um, And then how can you improve friends, friend support and building friends quickly and getting a support network up and going. And that needs to happen anytime you move. You can't just do it once. And so that took me some time to adjust to because I had never really moved in my childhood. And so moving a lot as as an adult took a while to kind of learn those skills to jump in and make friends really quick and build your network. Um, And then do you have a good stress management plan? That's something I had to learn through pretty painful experiences is that stress got too high for me and I actually didn't have a plan to deal with it. And so now we do have stress management plans and it's gone so much better. And so I actually spent a lot of time talking with other spouses about how to get a good stress management plan um, organized for themselves so that they have a place to go when things feel like they're getting too intense for them. So some of the stress management plan would include, do you have good self-care plans and do you have good self-management plans and those are two separate things I know we talk a lot about self-care like Mm -hmm. self-care is so important but um I really see self-care as like doing that girl's night or like going and getting a manicure or you know getting that massage or going out for a fun night and that's a good way to look forward to fun things a self-management plan is really when a spouse has to discipline themselves to do the things that they know are good for them, such as, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough exercise? And are you eating well? And really that's all it comes down to are those three things. Um, Other things are of course like social things, but really self-management is a huge part of being able to offer self-care. If you have too much self-care and not enough self-management, it's not gonna be rejuvenating. And if you have too much self-management without the self-care. It's not going to help you sustain the stress. So those are some ideas about um, having a good stress management plan that I think could help any spouse. So those are kind of my first two points that I had to learn early on, um, get a mentor and build some resiliency early so that you can know how to um, handle the next couple of years in the military. So how did you do that? How did you build that resiliency that kind of own personal well, if you will, whereas most 
people, especially when you get married, you're thinking you're going to rely on this other person and they're going to be your person. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to quickly go through the next two phases of adjustments that we can get to how I, how I did this. Mm -hmm. Um, After somebody goes through the denial, usually it takes about one or two PCSs I've seen a a spouse to really realize things are not going to slow down. They're not going to get more stable or more predictable. And then they realize, oh no, (laughs) how am I going to do this? And so, and that's kind of what happened to me. And the next two phases are anger and frustration is stage two. And the stage three is bargaining. And these are the really most painful parts of any type of adjustment period. So when a spouse starts to understand that waiting isn't going to solve their problems, they start to just kind of get some deep frustration. It could be deep frustration towards their active duty member. It could be towards the military or the military community. Um, and so anger is was a really big issue I was starting to have personally was I felt like I just couldn't control anything or plan anything. And so I was getting really frustrated. I felt stopped in every single avenue I was trying to progress in. And so um, one of the first things I had to learn how to do was to not military bash. And what that meant was when I was with other military spouses, it was easy for us to talk about military and military challenges. And But frequently I realized our conversations were all just about commiserating and all these griefs and issues we were struggling with. And I'd leave these conversations feeling so empty. And I, I felt like, man, if we're all feeling this way, how is this? How are we going to do this for 20 years? And so one of the first things I had to do with my other military spouse communities was I, I needed to change the way I approached getting to know their spouses. And I kind of made a rule for a couple months that I cannot talk about the military with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to talk about other subjects. Yeah. And so... I started to ask questions about what they did before they, you know, they married someone in the military or what they decided to study or what goals they have. And it just gave both me and the spouse a break to talk about something different and to give some depth and perspective that did not relate to our spouse's jobs. And that was a healthy way for me to kind of own that we all had these personal histories and that we all still needed to continue to grow and thrive. Um, There's so many talents that military spouses have that never get highlighted in the military community. If you do something like fitness that gets shown in the military community, because it's a value that the culture has. But if you do something like I did, like art or like dance choreography, there wasn't really a whole lot of space to talk about that in the military. And so it was really easy to start to feel pretty invisible. And I feel like I started meeting a lot of other spouses who felt kind of invisible too. And so it was just nice for me to kind of honor them a little bit just by saying like, hey, I'm not going to talk about the military with you and I want to talk about something totally different. And so that was that's a really easy suggestion about how to kind of work through some of the anger um, that you might be feeling. So I just think it's healthy sometimes for spouses to let themselves take a break with other spouses. Just give yourself a break sometimes from the military and enjoy all the diversity that's in the military spouse group. If you want to find a profession, a professional in any field, you can find it in the military spouse group. So that's really cool to see that type of diversity there. Um, So the other thing I learned early on is that uh, when I was going through some, the anger stage, um, I needed a neutral third party. It was not helpful to talk to my spouse. It almost exacerbated um, the anger stage for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really hard when you have a military spouse who might be frustrated with military life and they're trying to talk to their active duty member about it. And it, it kind of, how can they not take that personal? Um, so after, as my husband and I were going through this stage, I finally just said, you know what, I think I need to talk to somebody else. So to define a neutral third party, a neutral third party is someone who is able to listen to your challenges without judgment <laughs> and will not cause extra drama or stress in your life when you share it. So frequently you might have good family or friends, but they just, A, can't stay neutral. And sometimes it does cause extra drama when you try to talk to them about problems you have. So personally, I like to keep my neutral third parties as professional counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton in the military community for good reason, because they know that people need a place to go to and to talk. Um, so I've used private counseling um, because they can offer distance counseling. They can do Skype like we're doing right now, or they can do phone counseling. And so that's what I've used because sometimes we've been overseas and sometimes we've had really late nights where I need to talk to someone after my kids go to bed. And that's been a really flexible option for me. So when I was going through the anger stage, I um, started seeing a private counselor just to have someone to talk to. And they have great training. They have great resources for people to talk to. So if you and your spouse are really going at it with a lot of anger and frustration, you feel like you might be in that stage, go out and find a neutral third party to talk to. It will really help you get some good tools um, to start working through that anger stage so you can move on to the next stage faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish I would have had that in my life sooner. And so whenever somebody's new in the military, I always say, do you have someone neutral to talk to when you're feeling really frustrated or stressed and do they offer good advice? And um, so we have somebody there. Chaplains are another great resource in the military community. They have tons of great resources. Um, life coaches are really big right now and can be a great resource. And then, of course, there's tons of supportive um, groups that can be on post or online for military spouses. So get involved in one of those. Um, you're definitely not alone. And once you jump into one of those support groups, you'll realize, oh, it normalizes your experience. And a lot of people have really good suggestions about how to handle that. Yeah, so I would I would add that it's probably not going to be one of your friends. No, because I feel like friends feel the almost like obligation to not not just like validate what you're saying, but to be on your side because yeah. you are like there is validation like in what you're feeling and validation is important, but there's a difference between validation and ganging up against the military or against your spouse. And so I, I love that you're using the word neutral. Like it's not, it's not just someone that isn't your spouse. It's someone that can stay unbiased and level headed almost. Yes. Cause anything like a parent or a close friend or even another military spouse, it's just really hard for them to stay neutral. It gets too charged and they'll take sides. And then it can almost make you feel like you're justified in your anger, which can then propel you into further problems. So um, once a spouse is working through, once they've kind of worked through the anger phase and have gotten some support, then they move into what I think is probably the most significant part of adjustment. And it's called the bargaining phase. And the point of bargaining, I want to make this clear up front, 
is not to get your way. <laughs> You're going to be doing a lot of this with your spouse, right? But it's to, the point of bargaining is to gain control. Because once a spouse has moved into bargaining, they realize I things are probably not going to change and I can't continue this way. So what are we going to do about it? Um, and so realize that the point of bargaining is to get a sense of control back. Because when we have control in our lives, we can thrive, right? We mm -hmm. make expectations and we can make plans and we can make plans around those plans and set goals and accomplish things. And that's how we get back to thriving. So bargaining can look like this. If this is you and your spouse right now, I'd really pay attention because this is, this is a really hard stage for me and my husband. Um, bargaining can be when you or your spouse are pressuring each other to take or not take certain jobs. Mm. It could be when you put high expectations on one another to get the perfect circumstances or you'll be done in the military or done in the marriage. So there's like a threat involved. And as you know, most active duty members can't always get the most perfect circumstance. So that's kind yes. of a fair place to put them. Um, negotiating happens at this stage when you say, well, if you get to do this, then I get to do this. So it's kind of a tit for tat thing. And then um, spouses can start to negotiate within themselves by saying, well, the reason why I can't do this is because of this circumstance and this circumstance. And it's really easy to fall into a victimization pattern when you're in the bargaining stage because you have all these reasons why you haven't been able to thrive. And they're actually really good reasons sometimes. So um, if, and I think bargaining is really easy to fall into because it's a, it's a mechanism we use to try and solve problems. But really, instead of spending all that time doing those bargaining tactics, you really need to ask yourself two questions. And that is, what do I want control over? And how can I create that sense of control? And once I hit those two questions for myself, then I realized, oh, I actually have more power in this situation than I, than I realize. And so what I chose to do was I made a list of all the things I felt were out of control in my life. Like I couldn't rely on my husband's schedule or I never had enough help with kids or I feel like I'm always doing everything alone. That was really my main core issue was I felt like I had to take care of the house and raise the family and, and pursue all of my own interests without any support. And I just felt alone in every single aspect of my life. And so that was really my core thing I needed to work through. And I thought, okay, well, how do I make myself not feel so alone in, in everything that I'm doing? And so I think for any spouse, they need to go through and say, what do, I, what do I need control over? And then what plan can I make to get it? So um, one of my first suggestions is how to gain some control is to build in a care fund. And a care fund is part of your monthly budget. It could be only 20 bucks a month. It doesn't need to be a lot of money. But a care fund is not supposed to be used for a manicure. It can be. But um, a care fund is for you and your spouse to use as a stress management plan. And so you let that money build up. And anytime you feel like you need that help, like I need someone to come clean the house or I need extra babysitting hours or I need somebody to go pick up my groceries and I need to pay them for that. Or I just am going to buy a meal plan for a week and not worry about cooking. Right? <laughs> and um, that way you always have money available because a lot of times military spouses choose not to take care of their stress because they just don't have the money for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we'd love to have full-time help in our house, but it's usually just yeah. it's not part of our budget. And so I would say, Put, put a care fund in there and then you have the freedom to use that for when you need it. And you and your spouse have agreed, Hey, this is a care fund 
And when I'm gone, or even if I'm here, if you feel like things are getting out of control, that's our money. We pull from that. So even after a couple of months of starting to build up a care fund, I just felt like I had more flexibility to be like, hey, my husband can't watch the kids tonight. That money's going to go towards here so I can fall through on the thing I planned on doing. So I think a care fund is a great idea to just get started with some resources for yourself and for your family. Um, so the next thing we started doing was I realized um, I could never plan for the future. And so, um, and as I've talked with other spouses, they really want to wait to do things with their active duty spouse, right? You want to go on trips with them and you want to go do, on date nights. But I finally just had to let that go and say, I need plans. <laughs> I need plans in order to feel happier and to feel like I can look forward to things and not feel like it's always going to change last minute. Yeah. And so I think something that's really important for spouses is they need to make plans and know that they can go on them no matter what. And so I would say plan that night out, like buy the theater tickets, go to that show, go home and see family. And if your spouse can make it great. And if not, you have money for a babysitter so you can go. You know? yeah. And so even though that may not sound as fun, it's always so fun to go with our spouse. But I was starting my, I was able to get over the negotiating stage by saying, that's okay. If you can't come, I'm still going to go. And it was just a way to kind of honor the things I needed to do. And it, it took some pressure off my spouse too, so that he knew I could, you know, move on and look forward to these fun things. So, um, to put this into more of a context, we used to wait to go on it, to go to family reunions until my husband can go. And consistently year after year, we missed it. And finally, after about five years in, I thought, I really need to see family. It's important that my kids see their cousins and they get to see grandparents. And so we finally just made a switch and said, every year we're going to go and we're going to have money put aside and we're going to make that a priority. And we've gone the last couple of years and I fly by myself a lot with kids, which is not very fun, but um, we look forward to it every year. And it's been such a great way to take care of myself and our family and our family's gotten stronger because of it. And so I would just say, don't be afraid to do things by yourself and let yourself have plans for the future because it's really important to build long-term happiness when you can expect that something's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. So those are kind of all the steps, or I guess not steps, but kind of stages of grief and adjustment that we go through. But going back to one of the earlier ones with building up a personal reserves or um, resiliency, how did you do that? So I wanted to talk through these stages because what really happened when I was going through the anger and the negotiating stage was I realized that life wasn't going to be able to continue. I wasn't going to be able to continue this way. I was burning out fast and I realized there's never, we're never going to make it to 20 years. <laughs> I were yeah. four and I'm so exhausted. And I knew that the military path was still going to be part of our future. And so I realized that I needed to change. And what really needed to change was I needed to change my expectations about what was really possible with the military life. And so that's, that's why talking about the grief process is important because sometimes you have to let go of things that were may have made that maybe you thought were going to be part of your future. And so a couple of things I started doing, um, got the neutral third party in place, got the care fund in place and then um, I started really changing up my lifestyle, meaning the way I thought I was going to do life wasn't working. So <laughs> I'm going to share a couple of really significant things. 
we decided to start homeschooling. That was a huge decision for our family. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was because I was feeling like really concerned about having to get my kids on wait lists and pulling them in and out of different schools. And it was just a lot of extra logistical planning. And so we made a really big change there and decided to homeschool our kids. And so I think for any spouse, I would just say, be willing to dramatically change your life if you need to, even if it's not what you thought you were going to do. Um, honestly, I don't know if we would homeschool if we were out of the military. If we were civilians, I'd probably love to be part of a consistent public school program. Um, so that's something as far as an attitude change is be okay with reinventing yourself in your life. Um, some other things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's so interesting because I hear a lot like the, the angst and almost resentment of they don't want to let go and they want to fight to figure out how do we, how to make it work. And I think to a degree that's good. There are some key things in you that you shouldn't change, but I love that you just say, have the willingness to make a dramatic change if that's really what you need. And because with that willingness, I think you'll realize that it, the change isn't the end of the world. Like you kind of think it would be. Yeah. I think sometimes I felt like I had to always be this self-sacrificing one in order to make military life work. And Mm -hmm. I think that perspective is really detrimental for personal thriving. If you feel like you're 90% sacrificing all the time, then it's just not, you're not able to ever get out of survival mode kind of. Yeah. And I think that's something I started realizing was that I was starting to move into survival mode as normal. And it wasn't until I would get out of military, um, the military bubble for a little bit and realize, oh, this is this is not normal. <laughs> like living under this much stress and this much frustration and lack of planning and control is definitely a survival mode. And so um, I had to kind of cue into that. Going to a, th- a counselor helped me see that. And then um, some other things I started doing was I started doing meditation. That was one of the tools the counselor gave me. And I started reading a lot of uh, just books. One of my favorite books is um, A Road Less Traveled by Dr. Peck. He's actually a military psychologist. And he talks a lot about people's perspective about um, how they think life should be versus how life is. And one of my favorite quotes from him is he says, life is difficult. And the sooner that we can accept that, the sooner we can take all that energy and put it towards more productive things, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was spending a lot of time worrying that life was difficult as a military spouse. And once I said, okay, this is going to be difficult. So let's figure out what we can do now. Yeah. So I think reading a lot helped me. Um, And then ultimately I started to make some of those big lifestyle changes. So we started homeschooling. That was a big change. But along with that, we went through so funny now that I'm saying this, but we did con Mari's. We con married our house five years ago. And that was like a big nine month project for our family. I mean, we had little, little kids at the time and it took a good year to do that. But seriously, Michelle, like that, that decision to commit that major lifestyle change has had major positive impacts in our military life because we can now PCS easier and we can move into multiple houses of multiple sizes because we don't have so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can clean up my house in 30 minutes and focus on other things that are more important. So it may sound so silly, but that was another lifestyle change that really made an impact. And I think without the military challenges, I never would have been willing to spend 
nine months to a year decluttering my house, right? <laughs> so I think sometimes the best thing we can do is recognize the obstacles that we face in the military are actually great opportunities. And when you can start to change your heart towards that, then your mind will open up to say, I can actually get around all these obstacles and do something awesome. You know, like I can still have some personal drive and ambition. I can still grow and thrive myself and my family in the way I want to. And so really what it came down to was I needed to change my personal attitude. That was the biggest thing. I had to let go of what I thought I wanted and what I thought I was going to get. And, and that came through a lot of reading and a lot of meditation and then a lot of hard work, <laughs> a lot of hard work. Um, so other, other lifestyle changes we've had is um, whenever we have a new baby, I hire a mother's helper. And we set aside money every year and I bring someone in three hours every single day until that baby is old enough so that our house can function. I do not do babies by myself anymore. It was very stressful at the time we did it. So even if you have family that can come in, um, when your spouse deploys, set people in place in your life so that you do not have to burn out. And that's the other thing I've realized is military spouses don't have to burn out. Mm -hmm. You just need to do extra things to make sure you have the support that you need. So those are all some examples of be willing to make major changes. Um, you mentioned my business at the beginning, and that's been a major lifestyle change. Um, for me to give up years of studying dance choreography was really hard. It was really painful. I think any spouse who commits a lot of time to education or a profession to then just kind of let it all go. And you're like, but, but all that time, I'm like, that money I put on that degree, you know, you, you want to show something for it. And over the years, I've realized that doesn't really matter. I can either stay angry that I'm not able to do this in the way that I want to, or should be able to, or I can just move on. And I decided to move on. And really my business model came, <laughs> I created it around obstacles in the military. So really I looked at it like I need something that's part-time. I need something that has flexible hours. I need something that can move any place, anytime. I can't take a lot of stuff with me. And so all these things that came around that the military had as obstacles actually created my business model, which is actually really cool to experience. Um, so this is about a year and a half ago. And then um, I just realized I need to sell paper. I feel like my life is an episode of The Office. Like I sell paper, <laughs> what I do. And the reason why I picked a paper product is because it's lightweight. I can ship it from anywhere in the U.S., even overseas, without high cost. Mm -hmm. It's I don't have to have a lot of it in my house because we don't have a lot of space in our military homes to be keeping inventory. And um, I needed the product to be simple. And so... And pretty soon I realized I didn't want products that I didn't have control over, like outsourcing from China and stuff like that. So I needed to keep everything in-house. And as I went through this process, I realized I could make graphic prints. And I didn't even know how to graphic design at that point. I decided my business name. I decided what I want to do. And then I thought, now I need to learn how to put something on that piece of paper. <laughs> and so um, when my husband was deployed, I started teaching myself how to graphic design watching YouTube videos. And I taught myself how to use Photoshop and Illustrator and my techniques get better. I mean, it's only been, I haven't even been doing this a year yet, but um, as I've gone through this process, I realized brush fryer blue is really this like <laughs> kind of beautiful, ironic manifestation of my experience in the military. And I feel like 
this content that I'm creating comes out of these struggles I've had trying to find my path, getting adjusted to military life. And it's so fun now, Michelle, to know like that people are just buying a piece of paper for me and enjoying it in their house. You know, because one of my big things is like military spouses should have beauty in their lives. It shouldn't just be hard all the time and they should be proud of what they do. And so should their active duty spouse member. Like it's just a really, it's a really small way that I feel like I can honor that. I can honor what military spouses give up and, but I can also honor it that their house can still be nice, you know, and it doesn't have to overrun their home decor and overrun their lives. And so I think that's what brush fire blue kind of means to me. Um, the other thing that's been really cool is I've really carefully priced my products so that anybody of any rank can afford them. And that's been yeah. something that's been very important for me. Um, there's a lot of really cool military products out there that can be sometimes high cost. They can be very heavy to move. They can break when, with PCS. And I'm like, paper? It's <laughs> easy. You know, like, if they need to replace it, they can. And so um, I've actually been encouraged sometimes by other business owners to increase my prices. And I've been really diligent being like, no, I want this to be affordable because yeah. I think people should have beauty without having to pay super high price for it. So that's kind of how... So I feel like Brush Fire Blue is really that experience of be willing to start over, be willing to start over. If you have a degree in accounting, that's awesome. If it's not working for the military, you're a smart person. Do something totally different. You did it once, you can do it again. And so um, I think that has really helped. That transformation has come after quite a few years of challenge and heartbreak and having to start over and things stopping and having to start again. So when I see other spouses go through that, I feel like my heart really goes out to them because it's really painful to let go of things that once were part of you and to, and to start over and to try something new. But when a spouse can do it, then they really start to push forward and they accept military life. And then they realize all the opportunities that are there. Like you can do all these things. And even, even deployments now for me, deployments are an awesome time for me to work towards personal things. I mean, yeah. Anybody who's been in the military knows, like, you have less cooking, less cleaning, less good <laughs> out. Like, you can get stuff done when mm -hmm. your spouse is gone. And so um, the, a couple of major deployments we've had, you know, I've gone and been an adjunct professor at a university for a little while. And I go home and see family and I go see friends. And, um, you know, I started a business in six months when my spouse was gone. And so instead of lamenting how hard this is, just say, hey, like, this is a great time for me to do something. Mm -hmm. And um, so those have been like some practical things I've done, get the help you need, have a care fund, have a mutual third party. And then ultimately the harder work is changing your heart, like changing that attitude and getting yourself out of that victimization cycle and getting out of the anger phase and out of the negotiating phase so that you can move on to acceptance. And once you, once you get there and I feel like I'm, I'm pretty close to there, um, Life is so much more fun. It's so much more fun in the military. When you yeah. it, you just see all these wonderful people you get to meet and you see, you hear other people's kind of stories about how they've adjusted to the military and it just gives you so much more courage to be like, we can do this. And now I realize, oh, this is how women make it to 20 years. <laughs> like yeah. this is how the supporting spouse makes it is they learn and they adapt and they adjust. And then they find sometimes something totally new that they never planned on doing. And um, so I feel like the military has actually brought things into my life that have been really good for me. 
that have helped me become a better person, a better mom, a better spouse. And, um, and I feel like if we ever did something different, it would seem so easy, like it's so easy to do anything else. And so, so resiliency, I feel like, I feel like that personal resiliency has kind of built a lot of confidence in myself. And, um, that can, that can just give you a lot of long-term happiness and fulfillment when you know that you can do hard things. Um, so it was a lot of talking on my end. (laughs) That was so good. Cause I, just one thing I was thinking of that I want to say real fast. And then I want to ask our last question is I love that you didn't see it as having, like you had to give up something very near and dear to your heart, something you worked for years for, but that didn't mean you had to give up the core thing, which was having something for you, having Mm -hmm. something that you enjoyed and creating, creating something for you. Um, Because I think a lot of spouses, even just young moms in general feel like, okay, I'm married. I have kids now. So that means I the previous life is over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it doesn't have to mean that. It just means you have to be smart and you have to be willing to learn new things that fit into that criteria of a life of whatever that criteria of life that, that you have. You just have to adjust. And I, I love that different, just the difference in that mindset of we don't have to flop over and do nothing except for self-sacrifice but it is but there still is that willingness to adjust yeah which is so important yeah I think if um anybody's listening and they're like well how do I do this I kind of put a few categories down about things I've seen that are personal interests or hobbies or even careers that work for the military and so just if you're going to school right now or if you're, if you're in a career and you're like, this isn't really working or I want to have my own thing, these are just some things to think about. If you can do your interest part-time or with flexible hours, it'll probably work with the military. Mm-hmm. If you can do any type of distance work, it might work. Like if you can work remotely, it's a great option. If you have consistent support at home, meaning you have family close by, you have a relative living with you, if you have great nannies or like a childcare option, it could work for you. Um, if you have a career that can get you a job on post, it will work for you. And so even look at your skill set and say, could is there a certain job on post that relates to what I've done? And can I do that? You guys, even as a dance choreographer, I taught at Skies. I taught at Skies on post overseas. And it was a great way to contribute to my community. You yeah. know, I was expecting to teach children after getting a master's and, you know, working with professional companies, but it worked for a little while. And so just look on post and say, what can I do with my training on post? And then two more things. Um, I've seen a lot of spouses take their own training or degrees and just move it into a private, um, a, a private business that they can then like help other military communities. So like hairdressers, anybody in the beauty field, I mean, they can do awesome stuff in a military community and still continue with their interests. Um, and then lastly, entrepreneurs if you're willing to start your own business and do something totally from home then it can work for you so I would just say take a look at what you're studying take a look at what you're interested in even if it's a hobby um, and just say hey what what 
what area does this fit in and how can I make this work? And I think those are pretty big categories that you could kind of take anything and start to make it work within a military community. And um, really, I think my last thought is we need military spouses to contribute. We need them to share their interests and their own personal talents and vision and, and be able to be mentors for other people. For a long time, I thought that being a military spouse meant I just needed to stop doing a lot of things I had hoped to do. And now I've realized, well, that was really unhealthy. And mm-hmm. not, that's not what a, a thriving spouse or a thriving family looks like. And um, so it's been really fun to kind of carve my own path. And so I just hope that other military spouses feel like, okay, it's normal to go through these stages. <laughs> and there's some things I can do to get out of them quicker and to move more, more quickly into the acceptance phase. Because um, that's really where we need spouses. And that's really where we need active duty service members that they need to be thriving because nobody wants to be burning out military families. Um, it's yeah. just good for the organization as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree. So what is, if you can you, or is just this whole mm-hmm. episode, what is your key to thriving you want to share with your fellow waiting warriors? Don't try to do everything alone. That's probably been my biggest thing as I've learned Um, it's okay to do a lot of things alone and it's okay to know you can do things alone, but you just don't have to. And now I've realized I put things in place before I need them. I bring people into my home before it gets so emergency focused, I can't even function. And so realize if you have a deployment coming up, if you have a really intense training period where your spouse is going to be gone a lot, get help before you need it. And have, a, a, have some numbers in your phone and have some people on call. So that way, if you feel yourself going down that slippery slope of falling back into negotiations with your spouse or anger or having um, having just, you know, kind of like a depressed state of living, a, a lack of thriving, um, get help in before you need it. And because it's really hard to recover once you've hit rock bottom. It takes a lot longer to recover yeah. once you've gotten there. So don't feel like you need to do it alone. So get that neutral third party. Talk to them before you're in an emergency situation, emotionally or physically, and uh, have that support network. Just have people come over just so that you can have people over, not because you need a meal or you need your house cleaned. Um, and, yeah, get that help in before you need it. It's something yeah. I really encourage people to think about. Oh, I love it. Guys, did you take notes? Because I feel like I'm going to listen to this episode again and just, like, take notes. Maybe I should I should create a worksheet. That's <laughs> what I should do. I should create a worksheet. We'll see if that happens. I'm about to have a baby, though. Mm-hmm. So by the time this airs, the baby will be born. Yay. And deployment will probably have started. So Yikes. <laughs> maybe I'll get the worksheet. <laughs> baby won't. But if I don't do it, I hope you guys do. If you've just been like listening, like, oh, wow, re-listen and have a notepad and paper and like, because that was so good. Like, I feel like all the episodes have been really, really good. But that was something that you can, like, I, I was able to see what stages I've been in. And I feel like we've kind of fluctuated back and forth. But then also, like, you gave us solid things that we can do. It's like an action plan. So 
I'm, I'm really happy right now. <laughs> I hope it's helpful. And I also recognize every spouse doesn't go through this. Sometimes I see spouses who grew up in the military and I look at them, I think they have so many things already built into their life that they don't even know. And so if you are that spouse that came in from not having any type of military culture or background experience, some of these things could be helpful. And I think regardless of what stage you're in, there is a way to get through them. And there's a way to move past them. And because um, I think we lose too many families when they get stuck in the anger or the negotiation phase. And then the spouses burn out and they get out and they get out of the military under stress. And um, if they just knew there's a way to get through that and there was a way to kind of get to the other side and to actually be really happy and thriving, that they would be willing to go through that and to find solutions instead of just finding out. So just some things to think about. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's almost like, so today I posted on Instagram about how, like, you're just not alone in this. You're not alone for having like the irrational thoughts, which makes me think of all these different stages and you're not alone in being angry. You're not alone in wanting them home more. You're not alone in any of the feelings. It's natural. Like there are these five stages and, it's it's kind of what most of us go through and it's perfectly normal to go through them but we need to go through them not just stick in it and and I think that like you said that that's the problem of families that struggle so much is that they don't see that it doesn't have to be like this it's okay that it's like this for right now but just let that acknowledgement and self-awareness be something that helps you seek out the tools to get out of it and yeah. progress past it. Yeah. And I think even if someone can say, oh, I'm in the negotiating phase. Okay. That's, that's a normal phase. And so these mm-hmm. are the, these are the signs that show me I'm in that phase. Then here's some things I could do to get out of it. And everybody kind of still has to find their own solutions to get out of it. Yeah. But just even being able to recognize the problem will help you figure out how to get out of it. Because <laughs> once you realize, oh, it's because I need control, okay, let's focus on that rather than just continuing to, you know, argue with my spouse about why this isn't working for us. So yeah, it can be really helpful. And um, yeah, and once people have just that knowledge, they can move on. They can, because people are smart, they can find their own solutions. You know, they can make up their own answers. But if they just know that there's kind of a path or a process They can know what to expect and know how to move through it quicker. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, guys, I could talk forever about this. No, I could talk forever about this, obviously. (laughs) We might just do it in part two. We'll do like another interview in six months just because, you know, we could. But thank you so much, Kristen. This has been amazing. This has been just amazing. Like, I feel like so valuable and helpful. I know just for me, like, I love this podcast. I love hearing other people's stories, not just like their stories and hearing what they've been through, but I feel like you find in the community, like, uh, experts, Mm -hmm. you could say like people who've just like really grasped certain concepts And that's why I love this podcast because we get to just hear from everybody and soak it all in. So thanks for being an expert in my life. (laughs) 
Thanks so much, Michelle, for inviting me. And I'm so excited for this podcast to keep going and to grow. And I also hope that for you, as you get ready for a deployment on a new baby, <gasps> you have some good tools to work towards and to help you because that's going to be two huge adjustments, two huge adjustments. Yeah. But thanks again. Thanks for inviting me to be on your show. Awesome. Okay. All you waiting warriors out there, listen again. Take notes if you didn't take notes this time. And you guys have an awesome week. Bye. Hi, guys. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I know I've been learning so much, so please share with any friends and family you know, whether you know someone who is a waiting warrior or if you just think one episode can shed some light to friends and family about what you're going through. Share. And always remember, we're stronger together and here we can thrive. Until next time, have an awesome day.